Welcome to Reconciling Grace, a program where church leaders discuss various topics from the Bible. During the discussions, there may or may not always be agreement from every panel member on every point, but there is full agreement on the fact that the way to God the Father is through the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ. This is Pete Vecchi welcoming you to another episode of Reconciling Grace. Our panel members today, besides myself, are Vicki Cundiff and Mick Wells. And what we have today is part two of the discussion we began last time on music and Christianity. We had such good stuff going on that we just decided let's keep the uh, the things going. And Mick has been leading our discussion. So Mick, I'm just going to let you kind of give a quick synopsis of where we were and then let us know uh, how you want to proceed from here. Yeah, the previous program, we were taking a, a, an overview of God's gift of music to us, uh, both secular and Christian, but our topic is um, music and Christianity. So we were sharing not just from Scripture some passages to give us an overview and appreciation for music uh, throughout history, but also from personal experience and what role music plays in our lives. And... Uh, I'd like to carry on beginning this week with some more things from the Old Testament. And just briefly, we want to talk about, um, you know, if I say the word uh, Lucifer, uh, the Scripture tells us with a comparison to the king of Tyre, and this is from Ezekiel 28, verses 12 to 15, we learn that the anointed cherub, Lucifer, who was a guardian in the Garden of Eden, had a role to play uh, with music, apparently. And I've asked Vicki to share this key scripture from Ezekiel. Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the Garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, topaz and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. Now, sometime if we ever get into the deep subject of where the where Satan came from, where the enemy of our souls came from, the devil, uh, we can see that uh, he fell. Uh, he was in God's favor at one time. He was a guardian cherub in the Garden of Eden, and as Vicky pointed out here, the Word of God tells us the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes. Now, those are musical instruments from Old Testament times. And uh, they were prepared for uh, this anointed cherub, uh, Lucifer. And some scholars believe that he played a role of music director uh, in the presence of God, had very important roles. So that goes back quite a ways. But uh, again, that's Ezekiel 28, verses 12 to 15. If you're interested, you can go back and, and read about that and some of the commentaries. Well, we were looking elsewhere, too, in in the Old Testament, and the Psalms is actually one of those three books of songs, if you will, 
that the Hebrew people would get together and sing, and they were very organized. In fact, they had directors of music. And we find in the Psalms, if you look in your Bible, 116 out of those 150 Psalms have what we call superscriptions. They were directions um, to the directors of music, and they would say things like, sing this with accompaniment of stringed instruments. And they'd say, this one is for flutes, and this one is to the tune of, and then it would identify a tune. And other directions of those superscriptions would identify the author, maybe the musical, the type of musical composition. You know, if I were to say this song or that song is a waltz, most of you would probably recognize what a waltz is. It's in 3-4 time. Well, these directions to the directors of music of those who would sing the psalms would say this is a mass kill or a miktam or a shigayan, whatever those are. Those don't mean anything to me, but they must have meant something to somebody. Or sometimes they would cite the occasion for use of the psalm for such things as uh, on the dedication of a temple, and this one's for the memorial offering, or this one is for a wedding, and, and the like. And then they would give, sometimes, a tune. And I would really love to know what these tunes are. Uh, they know them in heaven, I'm sure. But uh, here are some samples of the tunes that they say that those songs should be sung to. One is called The Death of the Sun. Well, that's probably a funeral one. One called Lilies. One called A Dove on Distant Oaks. I love that. It's just very poetic, and, and it, it can't be... It's probably not hard rock or screamo, but it's, uh, it, it's very uh, descriptive. One called Do Not Destroy. One is called... Uh, the tune is called The Lily of the covenant and uh lost but not forgotten maybe someday around the throne we will know what those things were uh let me point out that not all psalms were songs of praise because mm -hmm. you know david if you will in the psalms poured out his heart saying i am troubled i feel like i'm at death's door i need your help lord those weren't necessarily directly songs of praise, but they were calling upon the one who was capable of delivering uh, David. Mm -hmm. But uh, David's son Solomon uh, was a songwriter, and I've asked Pete to share with us uh, a verse that describes that. This is from 1 Kings. Uh, chapter 4, verse 32, it says, Solomon composed 3,000 proverbs, and his songs numbered 1,005. And we don't know one of them. Nope. 1,005. <laughs> it's pretty specific, isn't it? It, it really is. Uh, years ago, I say back when I was a real person, maybe a little more creative, I used to write songs, mm -hmm. compose them, record them, sing them. But he did a, a thousand and five. I can't even picture. Where did he find time? <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> they're, 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 uh, 
their days were may, maybe not so full of electronic devices and, <laughs> and ways that we can listen to so much music and, and things like that. But yeah, I, I understand what you mean because I also uh, did the same kind of thing. I don't think I was ever as prolific of a musical composer as you were. Um, I know that you've written a lot more than I have, but I have done some, uh, not very much lately, kind of in the same way as, as you are. But uh, it takes a lot of time, and it takes the the important thing it took for me always was inspiration. I couldn't just sit down and say, "Okay, I'm going to write a song." I needed to have some type of an inspiration sure. generally to do it. Absolutely. Are you a songwriter, Vicky? No, not one of my gifts. Are you a singer? Yes, I have. I have sung songs. Okay. Led not- worship. I'm not. I don't. I'm not. Uh, you remember, I, I learned to sing from the radio. So sure. Know. I, I do it by ear. <laughs> well, I have to say, there, the times that I've been inspired to write a song to or about Jesus Christ have been some of the times that I have felt the absolute closest to God. You, you know, it's probably a prideful thing, but I think back on when I had those songs and things started to fall in place, it had actually made me cry, and I... I was just grateful for the gift mm-hmm. of being able to prepare this song, the words, the message, the music, to glorify God. So uh, I don't know if Solomon went through that with a thousand and, and five songs, but it was it was nice to to learn that. It, it really hadn't dawned on me that Solomon wrote a thousand and five right. songs, but there it is. Well, there are other examples in in David's life. He was a psalmist, of course. And I'm going to share one with you about music in the life of David. 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 23 says, So it came about whenever the evil spirit from God came to Saul. Well, there's a program unto itself. Yep. Uh, David would take the harp and play it with his hand, and Saul would be refreshed and be well, and the evil spirit would depart for him from him. Now, isn't that interesting? We know that David wrote songs, and they're recorded, but he would also play the harp, and songs have been, been written about David playing the harp, too. Right, and where is the uh, quote from, music hath charms to soothe the savage, savage breast? beast. Actually, it's, I think it's breast, but... Savage breast? That's what I've heard, but... Uh. Could be beast. Beast is what I've always heard. But. Well, yeah. either way, the point is that the that the music has charms to soothe that, and um, that's not necessarily a a Christian statement. I think that that's just yeah. talking about music in general. I think so too. There is some music that's designed to be very soothing, and I'll, I'll point out one exception here. When I hear music like you'd hear in the dentist's office, it doesn't soothe me. <laughs> well, you feel like I'm going to get drilled. Yeah, I'm saying usually the sound of those high pitched. You are going to get drilled. High pitched drills don't go along with that music very well sometimes. <laughs> That's right. So you have to suggest to your dentist that they play harp music. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I've asked Vicki to share Second uh, Samuel uh, verse or chapter six, verse five, and verses fourteen and fifteen, which also talks about uh, David and music. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, 
while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. Wow, a lot of celebration associated with uh, music in the Old Testament. And uh, that's a very interesting passage because uh, David's excitement even cost him uh, some problems on the home front with his wife at that, that, mm-hmm. that particular uh, occasion. I and think this scripture really shows, though, that he was just caught up in genuine worship. Yeah. You know, sometimes that you feel, with, whether you're home or whether you're in church or wherever you are, and sometimes you're just caught up in that that presence of God kind of worship, and you know he didn't care who saw him. You know, you know as far as his getting in trouble with her, he didn't he didn't care about that. He was just singing and praising and worshiping, and and the people were as well. You know, and, and even that passage you started out the previous program on this subject. Uh, there are many Old Testament descriptions of musical praise and worship that seem to portray those participants as more jubilant or demonstrative than we find in many churches today. You know, sometimes if somebody says they've gone to a praise and worship service, I've noticed that they've just sat there and and looked glum. The descriptions in the Old Testament of praise and worship, like the one you just shared with us, uh, Vicki, it sort of makes me wonder, are we missing something (laughs) in the church age today? Yeah, I kind of know what you mean there, Mick. And, uh, You know, we're going to continue this discussion. We've been having some fun with this one, but we're going to continue after this quick break for our sponsor. And we're back talking about music and Christianity here on Reconciling Grace. Mick, we've been having a lot of great discussions. Where do you want to go from here? Well, I'd like to turn our attention to how music is uh, addressed in the New Testament. And uh, you listeners out there, keep in mind that we've talked a lot about instruments in the Old Testament, uh, descriptions of music, the timbrel and the harp and the the sistrum and cymbals and lyres and castanets and all kinds of things. But in the New Testament, there's not maybe any description of... uh, or a very limited description of musical instruments. So we're going to share with you about music in the New Testament. I'm going to ask Pete to share with us from Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. Okay, and this is from the English Standard Version. It says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Yeah, I've often heard this one quoted. Uh, Clearly, every church I've ever been in has been one where the congregation sings, and some churches opt not to have uh, musical instruments because they're not mentioned in a verse like that, and a verse like I'm about to share with you. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 and through 20 from the ESV says this, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So certainly the the New Testament scriptures reaffirm uh, the role of music and singing 
in, as a part of our, our Christian life. And didn't you uh, have a song yourself based upon that? I think one of the songs that I put on that CD album I recorded uh, alluded to that, um, you know, singing praise unto the Lord or, or sing unto God like a direction. But I, I'm more interested in wondering, looking at this scripture, um, what it means to actually address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Am I supposed to walk up to you and say, well, greetings, Mick. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Or sing it to me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> it'd make it sound like an opera, you know, where the people speak by singing. Um, yeah, um, we've got another verse here from the book of Acts, and I've asked Vicki to share this. This is Acts 16, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Now, isn't that fascinating? These guys are in chains. And, and they had been beaten. And beaten. Mm -hmm. And they were up till midnight. And so how do they react to all of that? They were praying and singing hymns to God. Counterintuitive. Uh, it just doesn't seem... Normal, but the next part of the verse, I like that too, because God was using what he inspired them to do to reach other prisoners. Mm -hmm. Those prisoners knew that Paul and Silas were there. They had been arrested. They were charged. They were punished to some degree. And so when they hear these guys singing and praying, it must have meant something to them right, on, right out there on the spot. And I think it also speaks to us that when we're going through troubles and trials and, and our heart is broken over something, that we can just begin to worship. And music will do that and bring you into that worship and just start praying and start singing instead. I know that speaks to my heart, and I need to remind myself of that sure. from right. time to time. And one of the things that I'm noticing here is the specific version of the Bible, the ESV, uh, says that they were praying and singing hymns to God. Now, I think I have seen that um translated at times they're singing praises to God. But, you know, not every hymn is a hymn of praise. They could be pouring their hearts out to God saying, Lord, you know, what what's going on here? You know, why are we having mm -hmm. to suffer with this? You know, but Lord, we're going to we're going to give you the glory and and however that might be. I mean, think of some of the the contemporary Christian songs today that there are out there. I'm not going to try to name any because I don't want to, you know, put one person over and above another, but a lot of them are talking about all these struggles that we're going through mm -hmm. and all these uh, issues we're having, and and but that's okay. In the end, God's going to win. Yeah, just offhand, and I don't know the answer to this, the term hymn, I wonder if it's unique to the New Testament because the Psalms and the songs that were sung by uh, the Jewish nation, uh, typically I don't associate the word hymn, but I sure do with the Christian era. Mm -hmm. In fact... Uh, we're going to look at some passages here in a little bit that Bible scholars believe were the text of early Christian hymns. In other words, they were songs that were written after the uh, death, burial, and ascension mm -hmm. of uh, Jesus Christ. Well, uh, Pete, did I assign this to you, Matthew 26, verse 30? Yes, it talks again about exactly the word you're talking about, the hymns. And right after the Last Supper, this is where this is in the Bible, um, 
it says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Yeah, how many times I've read that verse and it went right over my head <laughs> that after the, after the Last Supper, before they went anywhere, they sang a hymn. Uh, kind of like we would do in, in church. I think sometimes it's been speculated, and I think with good reason, that you know this was kind of the Passover meal, and that it was traditional to sing something, you know, a specific song mm-hmm. after that time. And you know, did Jesus change the the words of the hymn or the the hymn they sang the same way that he changed the Passover meal into the Lord's Supper? At that time, right. we don't really know, but but it is obvious here from what they wrote that they did sing a hymn. Absolutely. I mentioned earlier the scriptures have passages that scholars believe were the requoting of Christian hymns. Um, and it strikes me as, a, as an issue of, of timing almost because we sing all kinds of hymns in church. Amazing Grace doesn't come out of the Bible it's a hymn we wrote now, but a hymn written back then by being factored into the scriptures makes it God-breathed, mm-hmm. which is uh, very interesting to me. Second uh, Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 to 13, some of my favorite verses in the entire word. It says, here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure... He will also reign with him. We will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. When I read this the first time, um, or in recent times, it struck me the parallel structure here. And that's one of the reasons. It's a symmetrical form this trustworthy saying that's written here, and it has a, a rhythmical balance of parallel clauses, that, and one commentary said that makes it very likely that the, these words form part of a church hymn. And um, another example in the scripture is uh, are these words. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. You can see a parallel structure there. That's from 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. And one commentary says, the Apostle Paul clearly here cited a hymn known to at least Timothy, and that hymn speaks of the Son of, of God. So uh, just like psalm songs in the Old Testament in the book of Psalms and Lamentations and so forth, here we have what appears to be an early Christian hymn uh, quoted at least in part in the New Testament. You know, if I could just make a comment here, you're talking about the word symmetry or symmetrical, things like that. Uh, I think it's important to realize how much music has changed throughout the years. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, we we in our culture tend to like music that rhymes and has the same number of syllables, you know, for whatever um, song it might be. But also understand that we are reading a translation. Mm -hmm. So maybe these had the same number of syllables. Maybe they rhymed. We don't really know for sure uh, what music was like back then, but it was music 
and music has changed throughout the years, throughout the centuries, even since it has been recorded for us in modern times. Absolutely. Um, you know, also, just because the scriptures said that they sang doesn't mean that uh, they didn't have instruments while they were singing, just because it doesn't say yeah. that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because how they keep the tempo and the beat, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> it doesn't say that it's a cappella, Th- you know. Thanks for that observation, um, Vicki. I meant to make the same point earlier that just because you don't read about musical instruments in the mm-hmm. New Testament doesn't mean it shouldn't be done. Yes. And uh, actually, if it shouldn't be done, I, I have a lot of repenting to do for all the times <laughs> I've uh, been in front of a group of people leading them and singing with uh, holding and playing a guitar. Well, you know something? Um, there is one place where a, a musical instrument is mentioned in the New Testament, and I, and I want to share uh, this with you. When it talks about music in heaven, and this is from Revelation chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. It says, The Lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne, And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Now listen to this. It says, each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song. And that song is quoted as follows from the scripture. It says, you are worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals, Because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Now, we can look forward as the scripture tells us what music's going to be like in heaven. And, uh, you know, sometimes people will say, you know, in heaven, I'm just wanting to be on a cloud with a harp. Well, <laughs> Revelation does talk about harps, but not in the context of sitting on uh, fluffy clouds here. And yet there is one more scripture that I found from Revelation chapter 15, verses 2 and 3, that again talks about uh, singing and uh, playing harps in the setting of heaven. Uh, Vicki, would you share that with us? And I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire, and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name. They held harps given them by God and sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Thank you, Vicki. I would like to believe that those people down here who struggle with carrying a tune, will recognize that in heaven they'll be in perfect pitch. Don't you? I Uh, hope so. God recognizes the heart, and for all the times we may have heard somebody singing off-key, we know that God recognized the intent of of the heart. And I'd like to believe that we're all going to sing in perfect pitch uh, to glorify God in heaven. Well, don't you think that... um I mean, we're not going to have any tears. We're not going to have any pain. We're not going to have illnesses. Um, that's all part of our imperfection as human beings in mm-hmm. these in these earthly bodies. 
I would think that having a good musical ear and and good vocal cords would probably be part of that being um, made into more of a perfect body. And from these scriptures, we can see that we're going to be praising Jesus Christ, the one who died for us. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's the most important. Right. So I guess that music is important, and it was important even before the creation of the world. When the world was created, it was important Mm -hmm. in the Old Testament. It's important in the New Testament, and it's going to be part of what we experience in eternity. So, Mick, I want to thank you for um, leading this really interesting discussion about music. As so often happens, we could get into so much more detail, but I think it's best if we stop here for now. Maybe we can revisit it in another time. So for Mick Wells and for Vicki Cundiff, this is Pete Vecchi thanking you for joining us for Reconciling Grace. This has been Reconciling Grace. If you have a comment or a question for our panel, or if you would like to invite one or more of our panelists to share with your church or group, please send an email to rg at faithandfriendsradio.com. And thank you for listening to Reconciling Grace. Reconciling Grace.